I'm so uh, blessed just to be in worship with you. This is a wonderful time of, you know, be lifting our hearts to the Lord, sensing God's love and his presence and his the ministry of the Spirit. Uh, I, I need this. Uh, don't we all? You know, I, I need this. And um, today is Pentecost Sunday. Um, and, and here's a, a Baptist preacher. Baptist. Uh, ba- oh, that's true. I, I always said Baptocostal because I'm, I'm, I'm what is called a spirit-filled Baptist preacher. <laughs> and I pray that I always will be filled with the spirit. But I, um, you know, I'm, I'm just blessed to be able to think with you and share with you and, um, uh, you know, kind of dig into what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the people of God, both corporately and personally. And uh, I've, I've uh, you know, I, I've been preaching for probably, and, uh, you know, I, it's over 50 years, I must say. And uh, the wonderful thing about the Word of God is when, when you come to it, you get maybe not brand new, but, but fresh, uh, inspiration from God's word. And as I looked at this day of Pentecost uh, to share it with you, I, uh, I've, I, I've been inspired and my heart is warm. Um, you know, there's a hymn uh, that we sing in the church. Uh, I, I don't know if you know it, but it's uh, Shine, Jesus, Shine. It came, came out over 20 years ago. But uh, in the chorus of it, You know, it's shine, Jesus, shine, fill this world with the Father's glory. Blaze, spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. And and somehow I can't sing that without those words getting caught in my throat because my heart is so full of that desire to have the, the blaze of the spirit upon me and upon his people. And that's what happened on the first day of Pentecost. You know, the the Spirit of God poured out upon that group of 120 disciples assembled. And a a blaze started, you know, that that has brought us to this day, over 2,000 years, to each of us personally and to all of us together, and has spread around the whole world. Uh, So I want to take a look at that day of Pentecost with you. And uh, we're going to look together at Acts chapter 2. But before, before we, I read the scripture to you, I, I just want to put it in its setting. You know, it's always good to, to look at the scripture and, and what surrounds it because it helps us to appreciate it and understand it more. Um, the immediate setting is the, is the command of Jesus. You know, after Jesus rose again, he was among his disciples for 40 days. And uh, he tells them in Acts 1, he says, um, uh, John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then just a little while later, he says, don't leave Jerusalem, because when, when you, you will be endued with power from on high. And then he tells us the purpose of the power. He tells us the purpose of the power. And if we don't remember anything else, I mean, I, I, if, if you don't, I think I'll remember it. But if you don't remember anything else, I, I think this is a, a, a key in understanding Pentecost. 
you will be endued with power from on high and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends, and 10 days later, on the, on the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost for the Jews, the, the, the in-gatherings of the first fruit, all right? Uh, the, the, the spirit is poured out upon the church. But there, there's a, a, a wider context, or a deeper context, that I think it's important to understand. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, as he hung on that tree, and as he gave up his last breath with a loud cry, saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Matthew tells us that there was an earthquake in the city. And among other things, marvelous things happening, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Now, we understand that the Holy of Holies was understood to be symbolically for the Jews. Of course, they had a, an understanding of, the, of God being present everywhere. But symbolically for the Jews, that's where God dwelt in their midst. And in fact, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies one day out of the year with the sacrifice for the sins of the people. In fact, he went in with a rope tied around his waist. So if God didn't accept the sacrifice and the high priest was struck dead, he could be pulled out without anybody going to the Holy of Holies. I don't think I would have applied for the job of high priest, tell you the truth. <laughs> but that's how holy it was. This thick veil, this thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies at the moment of Jesus' death is torn from the top to the bottom. And the significance of top to the bottom says this is not a human thing because if a human thing would did it, it would be from the bottom to the top. God did it. Now, in Hebrews, Jesus, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says that the body of Jesus is the veil of flesh. So what this showed was that the death of Christ in a, in a real sense, not only opened up access of everyone to God, but it opened up access of God to everyone. Uh, so so the, the, the Lord, God, was now set loose upon the earth. In fact, I remember a seminary professor of mine saying that wicked men thought that when they were when they killed Jesus, they were getting rid of him. Little did they realize that they were setting Jesus loose upon the world. And that, that setting loose took place on the day of Pentecost. So I want to I read uh, that, that scripture with you. And I want to do two things. I want to look at, uh, at the, that first outpouring, Pentecost, then. And I want to look at the continual outpouring of the Spirit upon us. Pentecost now. Um, and so... In, in uh, Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 8, and then the uh, second part of 11 to 13. And then I'm going to comment just on a few of these words, um, and, and then we'll kind of bring it right here, bring it home to us, the Lord being my helper. Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled. Now, 120 of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, by the way, I want to say this, uh, I'll just interrupt. Pentecost uh, of the three great feasts of, of, of Judaism was probably the most, uh, the most well-attended. Uh, Jews from all over the region. The, the, the attendance at these feasts was required, but it was, came in the best weather. So most people came then. Uh, and, and so anyway... Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This is, you shall be my witnesses. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I mean, it's like saying, aren't they from Brooklyn? They don't talk like Brooklynites, you know. Um, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then they give a list of who they are. I'm going to help my mouth by not reading that list. Uh, verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, and now here. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Father, help us uh, as we open our ears. Help us to open our hearts to receive the truth of your word deep into our souls. Fill us, Lord, blaze Spirit, blaze, set our hearts on fire. Amen. Well, I, I just want to make a couple of observations of what was going on here. Uh, first of all, it tells us that they were all together in one place. Uh, we know that the number of them was 120 from Acts 1. And uh, this is that period between the resurrection of Jesus, I'm sorry, the ascension of Jesus, when he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, uh, and Pentecost. So, so they gathered. I don't think they were uh, living there in that one space. Uh, we know that the disciples with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers were in one space living together probably. But they would gather. They would gather regularly. And what did they do when they gathered? They just prayed and worshipped God. Like, we worshipped God. You know, I, I think... It wasn't only just praying, it was just worshiping God for who God was and what Jesus had promised and waiting for what Jesus did. But they were all together. 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 You know, the, uh, our enemy who hates Jesus and wants to destroy his work in the world and in our lives, knows that what, what hinders the work of God is division. So we are told to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
That's a separate sermon for another day. But they were together. You got it? And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I can't do it too well. Let me see. Anyway, you get the idea. Now, they didn't feel the wind. It says they didn't feel the wind. They heard the sound. But the, for the Hebrew, for the Jew, the, the sound of a rushing mighty wind, wind is, is the word uh, in, in both, by the way, both in Hebrew and Greek and Latin, the same word is used for wind and breath. So they heard this wind, and, and that wind would be mindful of the spirit of God, the, the pneuma. Uh, we use it pneumatology, you know, about the lungs, having to do with the lungs. They heard, they heard this wind. So that was a sign of the presence of God. But there was, it, was, it wasn't a, just a soft. I don't think it was like that. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 was, it was a mighty rushing wind. Um, and then they see tongues. Um, well, the way it says it is, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And now, when it says divided tongues, I think, now this is what I picture, I, I think what they saw was a, was a great, pardon, this might be a, not a, a, a good description, but I would say a ball of fire. And then that ball of fire just broke up and broke up into 120 20 individual flames, and it rested... Now, that word rest is very significant, you know. Uh, it's translated rested. But the word is, means literally to sit, to settle, to settle down. Uh, it means uh, to fix one's abode. You see, uh, God always moved by his spirit before in the Old Testament. But remember when Jesus, uh, John the Baptist had to identify Jesus, the one on whom the, 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 the Spirit descends and remains. Because the Spirit would always come and go, come and go, come and go. The Spirit was on, Jesus remained. When this, these tongues of fire came, they didn't come to go away again. They fixed their abode the, the Spirit fixed his presence. It's not just kind of rested. It's kind of came and dwelt in, sat. And pardon the expression, but sat upon. It's like being sat upon. Um, when I was in college, I, I, I took wrestling as a part of our um, program. And I was the second biggest guy in the, wrestling, in the group. And he matched us up according to size. I was the second biggest. The biggest guy was six foot eight and weighed 300 pounds. So when we wrestled and he sat on me, I was done. You know, I, he wasn't going to get off unless he wanted to. I wasn't going to let him get off. Well, I mean, I don't I, But it was that, it's that kind of permanent presence that comes when the Lord descends upon us. And then, you know, I, 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 I see this word. Appeared to them and rested on each one. 
That means of all the 120 people in that room, now to me this is very significant, of all the 120 people in that room, no one was excluded. Now I, I, don't, I don't think everyone was prayed up and as holy as they should have been. I think there are people who were like you and me. They were struggling with faith. But they were where they were supposed to be. And when the Spirit of God fell upon that group of 120 people, no one was excluded, each one. And by the way, you know something? There's no hierarchy. I mean, it's not as though the apostles got an extra two tongues of fire on them. You know what I mean? I mean, we, we, all, we all have the Holy Spirit and we all have what the Spirit wants us to bring to the church. Every, each, each one. That means you. And it means me. The Holy Spirit, the, the tongues divided and settled or sat or rested upon each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's what was really going on. The promise what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means the presence of Jesus came and took over their lives. And it affected the tongue, which James says is the most unruly member of our bodies, the hardest to control. So whatever you have difficulty controlling in your body, and if you're anything like me, it's probably your tongue, because a lot of times I gotta say, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything, you know. The Holy Spirit comes and takes over, and what happens? A witness is made, and they began to speak in other tongues. Now, the word for speak in Greek is laleo, Tongues is glossa. So we get the term glossolalia. And in Acts, now this is, by the way, this is just looking at Acts. There's other scripture that talk about this gift that I, am, I'm, I can't consider with you given the limitations here. If you want to know about that, talk to Pastor Paul or Pastor Kathy. Um, but in this setting, the tongues were Languages, because that's another, by the way, that's another translation of the word tongue. It's language. The tongues were languages that people who came from these different nations heard in their native language. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, Back when I was still in New York, um, uh, 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 an acquaintance in Christ, he wasn't even a friend, he told me the story. He says, you know, he says, uh, I was in a Bible study, and there was this uh, Asian woman in the Bible study with us. And in the course of the prayer time, someone began to speak in tongues. And this, this Chinese woman was amazed. And her mouth dropped, and her eyes bulged. And afterwards, I said, why, why, what was going on when that happened? He thought she was just reacting to the speaking of the tongue. She said, that woman was speaking perfect Mandarin Chinese. And I understood her. Now, I, I, again, and this is, this is getting into different areas of what the gift is and the nature of it. All I'm saying is that the purpose of the gift, especially in Acts and many times in Scripture, is to bear witness to Christ. 
It's, it's to exalt the name of the Lord. And so when the Holy Spirit, when, when, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the promise of Jesus, you shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You know, there's been a, these last 10 days between uh, uh, the ascension of Jesus, uh, the ascension day, uh, and today Pentecost, there's been a movement around the world. Millions of Christians have joined in. Uh, I, I just found about it, out about it recently. Uh, it's, it was, I think, sponsored by the 24-7 prayer movement. But millions of Christians have been praying that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and I wrote it down, together asking God to empower us afresh by his spirit to be effective witnesses for Christ. Now, I think, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truth that God wants for us. Now, having, having said that uh, about then, uh, what about now? Well, I, I believe that the promise of God is that once the heaven's doors were open and the spirit was poured out, God never closed the doors again. You know, it, it's, not, it's, it's not on God's part if there's um, uh, um, if there's I'm trying to find the right word if there's a, a need fulfilling. It's not that God's holding back. But God has continued to pour out his spirit upon the church. But some wonderful things happen. There's, there's a corporate dimension altogether, and there's a personal dimension. Let me illustrate it like this. <clears throat> uh, I, I had an 80th birthday. I know, I don't look that old. <laughs> um, last month, and um, I, I, I told Barbara, and I said, look, this is what I want to do for my 80th birthday. I want our family our immediate family, to come together, I want to cook a meal for them. All right? So we had, how many, 17 of us, Barbara, were there? About 17 people, and I made, I made what I love to make, you know, uh, uh, a big pot of sausage, meatballs with a lot of garlic in it, and, and, and gravy, or as the uninitiated would say, tomato sauce. I mean, I mean, in the pot, well, maybe it wasn't that big, but it was about this big. And everybody came, and we all ate that meal together. Who, listen, whoever was in the house ate the meal. And then when they went, Barbara took, her, you know, these take-home thingies and gave my daughter meatballs and gravy, because they don't eat sausage, something's wrong with them. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and, and gave, gave other people gravy and meatballs and sausage to take home. So each person took home, so later on they could enjoy those individual portions. Now I know this is a poor illustration, but it's an attempt to say that there's something about coming together corporately that we could all share in the blessing. But then it continues personally for us. Now, corporately, it began here on the day of Pentecost. And there are times in history, there are times of re revival when God pours out his spirit upon the church. And you know where it starts? It starts with just a few people coming together and praying. In 1906, 
on Azusa Street in California. Seven men were praying in a chapel. They had gathered together and they were praying and praying and praying. And the Spirit of God was poured out upon those men. It started the Azusa Street Revival, which launched the World Pentecostal Movement. And to this day, the World Pentecostal Movement has spread the fire of Christianity around the world. There are more Pentecostal Christians. I don't, I don't, I don't like adjectives in front of the word Christian, personally. Because adjectives kind of like make me as separate. You know, well, you're a Pentecostal. I'm not. A, I mean, we're Christians. But this is just for our purposes. There are more Pentecostal Christians in the world than there are of any other Protestant denomination, and maybe even more than Catholics. I don't know. It started because seven men started to pray. In Wales, at the end of the 19th century, two women were burdened because of, the, of what was happening in their, in their culture, how people's hearts were cold to the things of the Lord. Are you burdened about that? And they just covenanted together to come together and pray regularly for God to send revival. And the great Welsh revival broke out. And that great Welsh revival spread to the United States. And, 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 and well, I, don't, I won't tell you all the wonderful things that happened as a result. But you know, it starts, but when it, when it comes corporately, you know, when it comes corporately, then all those who are there are blessed. You know, it's like having your rowboat in the water and the tide comes in. The tide lifts my rowboat and your rowboat and that guy's steamship and that battleship and, you know, that ocean liner. We, we all get lifted. And oh, God, blaze, spirit, blaze, you know. I mean, because we need God, and God knows we need him, need him. And by the way, Jesus said it very simply. He said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, this is in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, I think it is. He said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So he encourages us to ask. And sometimes we want to separate our experience of Christ and worship to a particular time and place, and then we live our lives elsewhere. But you know, just the way I hope, you know, my daughter and my granddaughter and other people who took that gravy with the meatballs and maybe the sausage home enjoyed it another time, there's a personal dimension to it. And I don't, I don't think the personal is so far from the corporate. And, you know, I, I took my watch off, Pastor Paul, and I stopped looking at it. But anyway, I'm going I'm to keep going and finish soon. I want to look at the personal dimension. And that's, part, that's our part. Corporate, personal, and then I'll look at God's part, and then we'll close. About 35 to 50 minutes from now. Uh, no, 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 don't worry. I, I get hungry. I got to stop so I can eat. <laughs> no. um, so, first of all, what was their part? What is our part? Well, you know, Jesus told them something very simple. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power. Wait. Now, beloved, it's, this is... This is so simple. 
They were just doing what Jesus told them and what they could do. All right? They were doing what Jesus told them and what they could do. Now, what's our part? We have to do what Jesus tells us and what we can do. Now, we all, by the way, everybody who's a believer has the spirit of Christ. You know, no, no one, no one, no one, it's in Romans 8, and the words just escape me. Uh, but it, Paul says something like, no one can say that they belong to Christ unless they have the spirit of Christ. They have to have the spirit of Christ. We all have the spirit of Christ. And I would like to say we're all filled with the spirit of Christ, but I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I'm not always filled. I, I, need to come, I, need to come to the, I need to come to the flow. I need to be filled again and again. By the way, that's what happened in Acts anyway. After Pentecost, again and again, God pours out his spirit and, and, the, and the disciples, the apostles are equipped. So uh, first of all, they were just doing what Jesus told them to do. And you know, sometimes we think we have to feel a certain way to do something, but that's, that ain't so. You don't have to feel a certain way, you just have to be committed to do what you're supposed to do. I was reminded yesterday, we were at a wedding, uh, an outdoor wedding, and it was hot. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But I was reminded by Barbara about what I used to say, and maybe if I'll start to say it again because I forgot about it, but when, when I, as a young man when I was first married, a preacher pulled my wife and me out of the line. We were on our honeymoon. He says, young people, I, I want to tell you something. People say that marriage is a 50-50 proposition. He said, don't believe it. Sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 70-30, sometimes it's 90-10, sometimes it's 100-0. Well, for over 50 years, I've been telling couples at a wedding that very story. And I tell them, sometimes it's 100-0, I mean, And then I say to them, don't let what you give in your marriage depend on what you get. But give, give, give. Because in a marriage, which is just illustrative of our relationship with God, and any close relationship, you know, it, ain't, it isn't dependent on me doing what I feel like doing. It's doing what I've made a decision to do. In fact, the, the phrase, love is a decision, is the most important of all. So, What is it that God is wanting? I could say us, but I want to make it personal here. What is it that God is wanting you? Can I ask you that? Don't answer. Me. Well, what does God want you to do? Ask him. You could ask him right now, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, one of the things, I mean, we all have our weak spots. Uh, so I can tell you, I won't tell you all my weak spots. I can tell you one of them. Jesus said, judge not, lest ye be judged. And one of my weak spots is uh, when I'm in my flesh, you know, when, I'm, when, when Christ isn't fully in control of my life, occupying the center, when I'm in my flesh, 
you know, I could be hard on people. I, I, could, I could look down. I, I, I could judge them. Uh, God keeps making me aware of this. It's, uh, I don't want to discourage you, but like Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over, and it ain't over yet. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But I, I, God has sensitized me to when I look at a person, especially people who are close to me, and I think, now why don't they? They should be. How can they? All of a sudden, I, this little light goes off my mind. I'm judging. It's not up to me to decide what they should do. Now, if I have something that I should say in a, in a, in a relationship, that's a wholly a different matter. But I, that's not what I'm talking about, you know what I mean. I looked down. Yesterday, at this wedding, where it's hot, we're sitting outside, and, and, and the, the officiant, a, a dear, dear person, is in the front, and the microphone is set up, and the officiant is nowhere near the mic. I can't hear what that person is saying. Why don't they get closer to the mic? I, no, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking it. And why are they standing so far away from the bride and the groom? And, and all of a sudden, bing, this little light goes off in my mind. I think God told me, hey, you're judging. I, I know better than she does. It was a woman who was officiating. I know better than she does. So why does she do it my way? That's pride. And you know what happens with pride? It goes before a fall. Lord, I don't want to fall anymore. And it went off. And I started, you know what I started to do? I started to pray for that person. And even though I couldn't hear her, and even though she was standing too far from the bride and the groom, even though she wasn't doing it the way I thought it should be done, I started to enjoy the wedding. I, all I'm saying is, what is it that God wants you to do? And then, when we ask, then God responds. You see? It doesn't, God doesn't take us by the scruff of the neck and say, okay, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit now, whether you like it or not. We've got to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing, what Jesus tells us. And I think uh, of um, Elijah's contest on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Just very quickly. Uh, you know, during the, the reign of Ahab, a wicked king, the prophets of Baal took over. And, and Elijah, uh, I, I believe all of this at the prompting of God, sets up a contest with Ahab's agreement. He says, look, I want to meet with the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel and we'll offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice, the, the God who accepts the sacrifice is the true God. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. So you go first, 400 prophets of Baal. They get up there, they make their altar, they put their sacrifice, poor animal, some poor animal cut up. And, um, and they start to pray, nothing happens. Elijah says, hey, maybe you better pray a little louder, maybe your God's asleep. And so they pray louder, and they're wailing. They start cutting themselves. After hours, nothing happens, and they give up. Then Elijah very simply gets some rough stones. He makes an altar. He puts his sacrifice on it. I believe this is all by instruction of the Lord. This isn't Elijah's idea. 
he puts the wood, puts the animals on top of it, the, the, the sacrifice. He digs a trench around it, and he pours water. He calls for water, and he pours water on top of it. And then he prays very simply. You can read about it in 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings, uh, wherever it is. Oh, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 18. Read it when you go home. It's wonderful. He prays very simply. And the fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, laps up the, the water that's in the trench. Now, what happened here? God wanted to prove himself, but Elijah had to meet the condition. And he had to step out in faith. Now, beloved, I... I just want to encourage us to say God longs to give us his best. And he calls upon us out of love to respond to him. And I, I think we all, I think we all could say in our hearts, blaze, spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Us, me. That Jesus be glorified. Father, help us. Help us to, to know the riches that are ours. And help us, O oh God, to keep our hearts open and humble and obedient to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing that uh, wonderful song now, Shine, Jesus, Shine. As you're able, please stand and let's sing and worship the Lord together.